Well, hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Joe Galati podcast, broadcasting high above the Texas Medical Center in Houston, purveyor of all things related to the liver, health and wellness, nutrition, food and cooking, and all-around doctor banter and witty repartee with our experts that visit us. Our website is drjoegalati.com. If you'd like to send me a note, subscribe to our newsletter, or even see me as a patient. If you want to call and be part of the program, dial us at 888-438-9431. And now, on with the podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us on this Sunday evening. Hope you're having a great start of the year. It's so beautiful in in Houston. I don't want to rub it in to the people that are living in Bismarck tuning in. But I was outside in my driveway washing my car today. It was about 70 degrees. Don't forget, go to drjoegalati.com. And um, as promised, it's a, a true pleasure to have Dr. Garth Davis on the line tonight. He is an expert in bariatric surgery and all-around good guy when it comes to taking care of his patients and nutrition and and a lot of other stuff. Garth, welcome to the program tonight. Hey, thanks for having me, Joe. It's great to be on here. Abs- absolutely. So, um, you know... There's there's so much to talk about with regard to what you have been doing in uh, in your career as a bariatric surgeon and how things have changed uh, in in a sense for you over time. But um, you know where where are you at now as far as your approach to obesity uh, in in the twenty plus years that you've been practicing? Yeah, it's weird to you know be in practice for 20 years and and in that time it's still amazing to me that it's 2020 right and we still seem to be asking ourselves what should we eat right and how do we treat obesity isn't that crazy it is uh that these kind of things haven't been figured out you know my 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 road's been bumpy rocky um i like to say that I practice evidence-based medicine, and so I try to be as evidence-based as possible. Right. Obviously, I do weight loss surgery, but I also am boarded in weight loss medicine, and part of my practice is trying to just counsel people to lose weight without surgery. Part of it's with surgery, but as you know, with surgery, it's very successful in the beginning, but in the long run, if you do what you always done, you're going to get what you always got. And so, you know, my, my I don't care how much people weigh six months out from surgery or a year from mm-hmm. surgery. I want to know what they're weighing five years from surgery. Right. And in the end, what matters is how we change our lifestyle. And uh, and lifestyle matters, you know, more than anything when it comes to the vast, but all the diseases you treat, all the diseases that most of our colleagues treat are all really, in the end, lifestyle-related diseases. It is. And would you would you say that today, the, the saying that for the most part, bariatric surgery is a tool uh, on your weight loss weight loss trail. Is is that still yeah, I, I mean, a, a that good approach? Every single yeah, definitely. Look, I say that to every single person, every single patient. I I 
I almost don't like how well surgery works. Right. Uh, just in that it, it does tend to make some people think, oh, well, the surgery works. I don't need to do anything else. And they go from eating a double cheeseburger to a single cheeseburger and sure right. you're going to lose some weight. But that's not the kind of change I want because it's not just about a number on a scale. It's about right. how healthy you are. So you could lose weight and not be healthy, but that's not what I want out of my patients. I want a complete life change. And that's more complex. So the surgery is very effective. I mean, look, we we live in very unnatural environments. Our our ancestors, where our genes were actually formed or mm-hmm. our, we evolved, didn't eat three squares a day, right? right. They, they weren't having these high-calorie meals. They didn't eat processed food. They just didn't eat anywhere like we ate. And we evolved things in those day and ages right. that, are, that work against us. We evolved a big floppy stomach a stomach that secretes a hormone called ghrelin that makes you hungry, uh, a leptin feedback system where hormones in our fat tell our brains whether or not we need to eat more or mm-hmm, less. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was to create a situation where if there was food available, we would eat and we would store that food because there's going to be a winter where you're going to have to fast most of the time. You know, unfortunately now it's, well, there's barely winter, and when there is winter, you still got McDonald's up at 24-7. And you've got taste scientists you know, working for McDonald's and Nabisco and things like this, creating foods that appeal to this genetic desire we have to eat high-calorie foods to prevent mm-hmm. starving. And so, right. so we're, we're, our, our physiology works against us, and surgery does address that physiology. It right. makes it easier to make lifestyle changes, but you still got to make those lifestyle changes. Yeah. Now, you, you have uh, become a champion for the plant-based diet, and we've had a few conversations, sure. and we've traded texts before, and I, mm-hmm. I guess there is confusion out there, not only amongst our patients, but amongst the, the listening public and people that are online is when you say, hey, we have to move towards a plant-based diet, is that being a vegetarian, a vegan? What? Where are we at with that? Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, that's, those, those are tough questions, right? Yeah. Because in order to get an answer, we're not talking about just weight loss, right? We're talking about cancer. We're talking about heart disease. Right. Now, you can't design a study to test that that would be prospective in the last 20 years and right. the time it would take to you know get a heart attack, things like that. So it's, it's difficult to study. And, and what you have to do is really look at the breadth of science, and a lot of people don't do that. And most of what people consume as far as information comes from social media and YouTube, and I cannot tell you how deficient that is. And what, what really bugs me is that a lot of our colleagues are so deficient in nutritional training of course. that they tend to also consume this uh, kind of social media knowledge, which is just gobbledygook, so really so wrong. Yeah. yeah, it's just ridiculous. And so I discovered it myself because you know, treating all these patients, everybody has the same disease processes. And I, I read some interesting stuff because I was trying to figure out why do people get obese to begin with. And I was getting overweight, and I had you know written this book about eat a lot of protein, and right? All this stuff, and um, and yet I was following my own advice, and I was getting fat, and then I went and got a life insurance policy test, and my cholesterol was sky high, and my triglycerides were sky high, and I was hypertensive. I was like, oh my god, what's going on? Yeah, it's happening so really to me, right? Trying, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I started really trying to investigate what is the source of this, and found some very interesting looks at different populations. For instance, um, I really got into the studies of Dr. Dennis Burkett, who was a surgeon over in in England, Mm -hmm. and he noticed that in England, there was an expatriate Ugandan population, and these Ugandans had the same disease processes that the Anglo-Saxons had. So they had the hypertension, and they had the diverticulitis, and the heart disease, and all this stuff. 
and he was a general surgeon like me, so he would see these same things, right? He would see the appendicitis and the cholecystitis and all that stuff. He went to Uganda, and he couldn't find any of these diseases. Hmm. The Ugandan natural population didn't have that. And that led to this hypothesis that this was, you know, fiber-related. Now, that's a very simple univariate analysis, but in order to really study this, you really have to look at complex mechanistic studies. In other words, we need to find out why plant-based diet would affect some of these disease processes. And then we also have to look at epidemiology. Does it bear itself out in natural populations? And if you you look at it, probably the best epidemiology comes from the Seventh-day Adventists. Mm -hmm. Because very early on in the 70s, when they were trying to study about whether or not smoking causes heart disease, they noticed that, um, or smoking caused death, uh, they noticed that the Adventists didn't smoke and they lived a really long time. Right. And so that was part of the, okay, well, maybe smoking is a part of it. But then they looked at the Seventh-day Adventist population themselves. And it's interesting because here's a heterogeneous group of genes, right? These are people all from different genetic backgrounds. Mm-hmm. They're not like, the, you can't say this is genetic. They are all in the same population. They live in Loma Linda, California, so they're subjected to the same whatever pollution. Environmental in the stuff, water. right? Yeah. yeah. They all typically don't smoke, and they all typically believe in exercise. But some of them eat meat. Some of them just eat dairy. Some of them will eat fish, but nothing else, and then some of them are vegan. And if you look at that population, we've studied that population many, many years, and it mm-hmm. makes for an excellent study. Because there's no way I could design a study where I randomize someone to taking a vegan diet. But in this study, at least I could look at people in similar situations, and I could look at the vegans and compare them to the meat eaters. And no, without a doubt, the vegans live longer. They've got less heart disease. They've got less Alzheimer's disease. Right. They've got less diabetes, considerably less diabetes. In fact, if you start looking at epidemiology, it, it turns out that animal protein seems to be strongly tied to diabetes as opposed to carbohydrate, which is what our typical thought process is. Right. But that, that makes for a very good study of, of populations. And, and the only group that did even close to the vegans, and in some cases better than the vegans, were the pesco vegetarians. So right. they ate nothing um, animal except for fish. Right. Um, and, and so, look... A little bit of meat, is that, is, is, is that going to kill you? Well, I, I think processed meat, you know, bologna and... and Salami, and yeah, that's meat, bad stuff, yeah. Just horrible. I don't see that any of that is good for you. Yeah. Um, red meat is what they call a 2A carcinogen, meaning pretty sure that it causes cancer, uh, but would a little bit hurt you? Uh, who knows? It's uh, it's hard to say. Um Chicken, fish, not as much data showing that it's bad for you, so a little bit would be good. The problem is in our society is that we think that if some is good, more is better. Exactly. And so people are on these high-protein diets, and that is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, people, when they uh, want to try to improve their diet, they the first thing they say, almost bragging or a badge of honor, oh, we're eating just chicken, and they eat chicken day and night. And I, I just don't think that is a good approach at all. It's not, and especially when you start looking at the data, because if you look at the EPIC database, which is one of the largest databases on food and nutrition, it's uh, in Europe. They looked at 10 countries, 500,000 people for 12 years. And they're looking through that database and they want to, you know, what foods are associated with waking. The number one food associated with waking? Chicken. Yeah. 
Yeah, the number not, one food, and that's what people eat here for a diet food. Ex- and, and you know, we keep doing the same thing over and over again and getting the same results, and you know, wondering why. Yeah, I know, Garth. We're going to take a quick break here. I am on the phone with Dr. Garth Davis, an expert in bariatric surgery, has an awful lot to say, a lot of experience in this area. Stay tuned. Final segment coming up. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. We'll be back in a minute. Final segment tonight for this installment of Your Health First. We're on with Dr. Garth Davis. Real pleasure having him on tonight. Garth, how many years have you been in Asheville now? Uh, it's been a year and a half, almost almost two. You enjoying it? I love it. It's, you know, it was a big difference from Houston. Uh, you know, I came out here to get to the mountains and the rivers, uh, but I miss Houston a lot, too, more than I thought I would. Yeah. Uh, you know, I grew up in Houston and uh, loved my hospital there, so yeah, uh, it's, it's a mixed blessing. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're still doing a lot of great work there. Now, this, uh, this, this hubbub about intermittent fasting, what is, what is your mm-hmm. take on that? Gosh, it's it's ever changing, and it's yeah. uh, it's challenging a lot of the beliefs I had before. I I really used to think that a calorie is a calorie, right? Is a calorie, and it doesn't make a difference. And it turns out that it may be very unnatural for us to be eating three meals a day. It certainly seems to be unnatural for us to eat at night. And there's some interesting studies lately that actually looked at what if you feed someone at night versus whether you feed them early, right? And if you feed the same amount of calories. You, think, you you tend to utilize those calories better in the morning than you do at night. Right. And there does seem to be a benefit on what's called time-restricted eating. The problem with inter- this term intermittent fasting is it, it, people use it to describe many different things. I use with my patients what's called time-restricted eating, which sure. is I try to restrict them to about a 12 to the 10 to 12-hour eating period. So, for instance, they start breakfast at eight or they started at 10 and they stop at around six to eight, you know, depending on, on when they eat breakfast. Right. And that does seem to have somewhat of a metabolic benefit. Um, though it's not huge. If you look at, if you take a group of people and you put them on just less calories a day, mm-hmm. uh, like 500 less calories a day. And if you take another group and say, well, we're just going to restrict your eating, but we want you to eat the same amount of calories. It doesn't seem to be a huge difference in the right. weight loss. Uh, but I do think it becomes easier for people to control their eating if they know that they just can't eat past six. There's no choice. They're right. just not eating past six. There's a line in the sand. They tend to naturally control their weight. And if you look at the studies, they tend to, on average, eat about 200 to 300 less calories a day. Right. And they tend to tolerate that very well. In other words, if I tell people to eat 300 calories less a day without this time restriction, it's hard, but if they have this like restricted time that they have to get these calories in, it becomes easier. Now that's different than intermittent fasting, right? And there's different there's different protocols for intermittent fasting. But if you're, it depends what you're fasting for. Are you fasting for weight loss? If you're fasting for weight loss, it doesn't tend to be that successful. I like mm-hmm. the time related eating, but there's some people that do these five days regular eating, two days fasting, or they'll do alternate day fasting, where one day they only eat 500 calories, the next day they eat right. a normal amount of calories. Neither of those make huge difference physiologically or huge difference with weight loss. Now, what may make a big difference as far as aging and health is longer fasts. Fasts right. where you start to actually stress the body. Mm-hmm. And there's a doctor named Dr. Walter Longo working at a USC, and he's done some interesting studies on what he calls 
fast mimicking diets. And mm-hmm. what he does is create a low calorie diet that's plant based. So you're not stimulating. We, we didn't really get into it before, but proteins stimulate some of the aging pathways. Right. And what he wants to do is avoid those pathways over a five day period. And these five day fasts, he's shown, it, certainly in the animal studies, he's shown some very interesting changes, changes in the microbiome, changes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In, in the ability to stimulate stem cells and the ability to go through a process called autophagy, which is kind of like your body's re-cleaning itself. Right. Uh, drops in cholesterol, drops in a hormone called IGF-1, which is associated with aging and uh, cancer. And what's interesting is when they've done the human trials, obviously you're going to get the benefit right after you fast, but he's noticed that that benefit seems to stay around for extended periods of time. It's almost like you're resetting your body, and we're still very early in the research of it, but I think it's it's very interesting. I personally don't eat breakfast till 10 a.m., Right. and I try to finish eating by 6 to 8, um, depending on when I get out of work. Um, and then I will do this, uh, this what's called fast mimicking diet. I use a product called Prolon, which they basically deliver you these soups that you eat uh, during the fast. And I do that, you know, once or twice a year. Uh-huh. And I, I think there's, there, there's some very interesting science behind it. I, I find that the, the, the science is going more and more to eat less. And right. less. We went through this time where it's like, oh, we need protein shakes, we need protein powders, we need to eat seven times a day, and right. all this ridiculous stuff. And quite honestly, I think you need to eat as little as, as it takes to get in the recommended daily allowance. And remember, the recommended daily allowance for protein for a male is 56 grams, and for a female is 46 grams. That's not a lot. No, it isn't. Yeah, it really isn't. And when you look at the curves on obesity, they're going in the wrong direction. So with all this, all this attention and new research on on eat more, uh, you know, six, seven small meals a day, we are doing something wrong now. um, You know, real quick, uh, I'm sure you're asked this all the time. Keto versus Atkins. What's your what's your quick answer? so keto versus Atkins, I mean, they're pretty much the same thing. So Atkins was a ketosis, at least the, the initial part of the Atkins was a ketosis-generating diet. The, the, the problem with key, um, Atkins is it was a fairly high-protein diet. Right. And um, a true ketosis diet should be a higher-fat, lower-protein diet, at least lower than Atkins did it. Um, but the studies are actually really, really bad with it in, in, in NIH studies where they, uh, on the keto diet, kept people in on the keto diet yeah. and they kept them in the ward studies. They had tremendous increases in CRP and which is an inflammatory marker, right. uh, in, in increases in insulin resistance, things like that. I, I really think that there's been many, many studies now. I think that ketosis is a very unsafe diet at this point right. and completely not necessary. I think, uh, you know, the, the one thing the ketosis diet does well is it controls hunger by kind of making you a little bit nauseated <laughs> right. when you start developing these ketones. Uh, but the same thing happens in, in what's called volumetric eating, which is a high-fiber, high-water-density diet. Right. So with my patients, I say, you could eat as much fruit and vegetables as you want. Stuff your face with fruits and vegetables. Right. Um, because it will fill you up before you get too many calories. Yeah, nu- so, nutrient-rich, calorie-poor. 
Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and it was studied by this lady named um, Dr. Barbara Rolls, and she did these excellent studies where, you know, varying the amounts of fiber and water in these soups, and, and you could drop calories and take in a whole bunch more food and, and at the same time, and that's very satiating and very comforting to not have to count calories. Yeah, exactly. Now, uh, Dr. Davis, the last minute here, and, and without a doubt, we're, we're going to have to get you back, childhood sure. obesity. Where, where, oh. what, you know, I, I know you could go berserk on this, but wh- yeah. what, what is your angle on this? What are you seeing? I mean, it, it, it's a horrible situation. Um, we, we thought we had it stopped, but it seems now to be getting worse again. I, I mean, there's so much to talk about. I mean, is it the microbiome? Is it um, epigenetics? In right. other words, is it what's happening in the mother's stomach while the baby's in there? We know there's some science behind it. There's science on epigenetics of the grandmother. Right. You know, wow. the grandmother's effect on the, yeah. So it, it's such a complex topic. It, it, it's getting worse. And I think we need to address obesity at the childhood level or we're never going to get a hold of this really serious problem. Yeah. I mean, I, I had said early in the program, and I say this all the time, it, it is enough to bankrupt a, com- a, a, a country. Oh, it is. It's doing it to us now. Yeah, it is. All right. Dr. Garth Davis, absolute pleasure to have you on. We will continue the conversation, continue the efforts that you are um, doing every day with your patients in North Carolina, and we'll see you again soon, all right? Sounds great. Thanks for having me. All right, you bet. Absolutely. What I'm going to do is I will list Dr. Davis's um, social media uh, contacts and uh, certainly worth getting in touch with him. All right. Next Sunday night, we will be back. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Don't forget, go to drjoegalati.com. Stay tuned. We'll see you next Sunday night. Thanks for listening today to our podcast. Don't forget, for more information, check out drjoegalati.com. Information about my book, Eating Yourself Sick, is available there, as well as our clinical practice, radio program, and social media links. We need you to be part of our tribe and community. Until we meet again, I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Ciao.